0: Out here in the perimeter there are no stars, out here we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome, this is the C86 Show, I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week it's going to be the turn of the singer, songwriter, composer, producer, filmmaker and much more. It is the one and only Tim Arnold, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love and poetry and a very interesting career that started ish um, in the 90s with a band called Jocasta. He's gone on to do lots of other solo projects during that time and has got various solo albums. Well, he's got one coming out very soon which is titled Super Connected. This is April 2023, or May. So, um, yes, I'll give you a link to the website so you can find out more information. But this is the interview, so after several minutes of interest, and, but casual chat, we get down to that very exciting subject that was the early musical uh, awakening, really, or years. And this was Tim's response. Tim, tell us all about your musical awakening.
1: I, I, a few. Um, I mean... I think I have I have a Bowie memory, although I did not um get into uh, Bowie until much later. But it was the first record I remember hearing. Uh, my my brother uh, is ten years older than me, and I remember him putting a headphones on my head when I was five. Would have been nineteen eighty, and and uh, and playing me this record. And the reason I remember this is because I remember hearing the lyric, you know, Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow, and. Uh, and 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 it, one of my earliest memories and i remember thinking that it sounded rude and that i'd heard my mum call people a cow sometimes <laughs> in that very sort of unpleasant way and i thought gosh you can say that in a song and that was yes. when i was five so that's just uh, <clears> to, <throat> you know to um join you in that bowie memory but to be really honest the the the, the first my mum's a singer so I grew up with music and not just music but because she'd released three albums by the time I was born so and a lot of singles so I I grew up thinking that looking at at your mother's face on front of an album cover was a normal thing (laughs) so um, probably has something to do with why I um started pursuing doing the same thing by putting my face on that covers later on. So I listened to Polly Perkins, my mum, um a lot um when I was younger. But the one that really made me want to make music was major and Ultra right Box. He's
0: the one, yes. So had you come across Vienna or was it uh, the slightly later period? Because you would have been still quite young when Vienna came out.
1: Yeah. I, I I think I discovered Ultravox just before, if I was, so really, just as he was about stepping out to do solo proper. Yes, um, I was. I was bought a copy of the collection, which had all the like, the hits and all the singles. You know, everything from well of that incarnation of Ultravox with uh, yes. Midge. um and and I just loves Great Adventure, One Small Day, Lament dancing with tears in my eyes obviously visions in blue this great sort of i'd I'd already been brought up listening to a lot of classical music and suddenly it was like classical music with stuff that sounded um you know cool and electronic like the stuff i'd seen on television but didn't understand when i was you know eight years old (laughs) and so it was um it was but i think it was his voice really and the melodies i just never heard a man i'd been used to listening to my mum sing and uh, he's, he has an extraordinary voice but also all the female singers that she loved like janice choplin and barbara streisand and you know I, which i love as well but i'd not heard a man uh singing and uh, you know i didn't grow up with a man in the house so apart from my older brother but um yes. so yeah it was it was the first kind of ah father figure kind of i'll i'll take him <laughs>
0: yeah well absolutely it's interesting because i know that tony and um hunt sales you know who were in you know iggy pop and then the tin machine and various but they had a f- f- uh, father called soapy sales didn't they soapy, soapy who was a kind of very mm. famous american kind of um entertainer comedian everything yeah. and, and they they found it kind of strange that they put the telly on and there was their dad doing all this stuff and um yeah, so having a showbiz family uh, or parent is quite strange. Did it did it um, help or hinder at all? And and sort of having somebody who was that you know quite well
1: known uh, as my, like my mum. Yes, as your mum. Uh, I looking back on it now, it did help and hinder um, uh, because I was re- you know I, I've recently been diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum disorder and um which is a short way of saying i've been autistic my whole life without knowing there's been a lot of reappraising of the past and how i've navigated life and and so when i look back on it now i see that what was brilliant was that my my mother obviously didn't know um that i was neurodivergent and she was absolutely encouraging of my music Creativity, writing, poetry, all of these things. Um, because you could see I was happy. But um what she what she also did was frame it all in that showbiz way, <laughs> which was right, you've got to do this. You've got to get up, no, darling, you've got to sing out. And no, it doesn't matter, even even if they're talking, somebody will be listening to you when you're on the stage. You know, this whole kind of this relationship that you create in your mind that you're having with the audience which of course if and it would have been called asperger's in the 80s if she'd have known that she had a a small child that had asperger's then perhaps she wouldn't have guided me in that direction and would have just focused on you know the creativity of the music and the, and the making of it but not so much the pressure associated with succeeding with it <laughs> you know and the pressures that come when you uh, so yeah so i think like you said did it help or hinder it helped i got to I was at my first gig when i was two and a half weeks old um so the music and the vibe of uh, performance and theater is you know grease paint <laughs> everywhere uh and and so i learned a lot of it very young um yes. but i think it the, probably the the unhappiest and most difficult parts of my life have also been attached to that you know um which is exciting now because i know about my condition so i i can uh, i can make different choices and understand what is actually happening in my head when i think about Entertaining and creating and all of those things.
0: Yes, God, it's con a complex world, isn't it? And you said you had. An old... <laughs> it's become quite complex. Yeah, it's a very complex world. Reappraising the past as well, and processing. We love processing as we get older, don't we?
1: But did you yeah. um did your older did you say you had an older brother who who was quite yes, influential? that's absolutely ten years older than me. So, um, so whilst our mother was you know she began her career as a windmill girl and came through you know the soho dancing clubs and nude review and she was 15 16 straight into presenting on ready steady go and and um and you know living living in battersea on in a caravan uh, whilst going and dancing with the Beatles, you know in the early 60s so she 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 brought that old school kind of cross between that period where Music Hall suddenly started meeting British R&B in the early 60s you know Music Hall was on the way out um, but my brother obviously he was it was Pink Floyd, Blondie, uh, Kate Bush, um, Human League he was I was five he was 15 he was the coolest human being <laughs> I knew and, and hence him you know putting on a the, the hunky dory record, or, or yes,
0: like and um, having a blast of that. So, you're kind of 80s, you were still quite young. Can you remember something like Live A? Did that sort of was that on in the house during your sort of when you were about 10, 11?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I was at my brother's um flat uh in Crouch, and I think he's he, yeah, he's living there with his girlfriend, and I'd seen the radio times or the TV times, I think it was the radio times and uh, i'd seen the giant jukebox on the front page and all these names of all these artists and i'd heard of some of them And i was nine or ten is it 84 85 i think it's 85. 85 yes yeah it's the ballet song that came out in 84 isn't it yeah and um and i just everyone was talking about it and it was going to be this concert that never ended and you could watch it anywhere in the world and so i ended up watching that at my brother's flat and staying up really late and loving this wild character who kept swearing and asking people for money on, on the television that yes, this is true and and of course it really it's the first time i'd seen major live Ultravox, obviously performing on it and uh, um and all these other artists which just i it, it just after that that's i think it's exactly the same summer i got my first sony walkman
0: right you were there weren't you can you remember your first single you bought
1: yeah, I do. Adam and Goody Two Shoes.
0: Oh, classic with Marco Peroni. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I was, I I, I I, don't know why I bought that, but I do remember buying it at Harum Records on Forty Screen Road in Muswell Hill, probably 1982.
0: Yes, that was, it's always a big thing, really, your first record. It's like, you know, it was probably. I don't know, in my day you'd save up something like 70, 80p and then you sort of had <laughs> to make this big commitment and it was going to be, you know, it was quite an investment. You weren't going to be able to buy another one for at least another few months of scrounging money. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, it's it was just one of its, the thing. So what was your first concert you got dragged to, which wasn't your mum? What, watching your which mum, before, my mum? Which wasn't your mum. Which wasn't
1: your mum. Gosh, I'm trying to think. It might this will this might be a bit of a curveball. Um but I don't think I went to any concerts um until I was 13. And the one that I was dragged to would have been Clanad at the right. Albert hall. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Did they do, was that Arthur's
0: theme or something? Were they um, very popular?
1: Harry's, the theme from Harry's game.
0: That's the one, yes. Well, we yeah. all loved Clannard and Enya at that time, didn't we? That was kind of one of those
1: things. Well, I, I was hooked on Robin of Sherwood and all things Celtic and the mists of Avalon. I mean, that was, I was obsessed with all of that. So to, to go into somewhere like the Albert Hall when I was, I think, 13, and then just the lights went down and this mist appeared on the stage with the purple lilac lighting and a woman at a harp it was just kind of i just thought i'd seen magic happening <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes well absolutely i know the first those first moments uh, and seeing people walking onto the stage shuffling you think it's such a big yeah. thing for them it's just another gig isn't it but for us they're kind of magical human beings who've come from some magical yeah. place not some little
1: dressing room around the back <laughs> yeah and it, and it was funny you no one's ever asked me that before and um it's made me remember that i've i've got the program from it and it was obviously my first experience where an adult had taken me and said do you want to get the program do you want to get the, the cassettes?" and <laughs> you know it's <laughs> like yeah it was a special treat i think it was around my my birthday, my birthday. yes my
0: birthday. And were you into? I mean, because during that period, actually, I was obviously ten years, eleven years old. But there was a kind of a period in the late eighties and then into the nineties. I got very into the world of, I suppose, like hippie, new age stuff with ley lines and magic and stone circles and sweat lodges and all that kind of world. I mean, obviously, you're a bit younger. Did you also embrace a certain mysticism at that kind of early period of your life?
1: Well, I mean, I might as well tell you now. I mean, I when I was 13 and i was living in spain with my mum um i uh, i joined the order of bards ovates and druids and did their course from abroad um, i was absolutely um and still am uh passionate about the uh, the celtic magical and pagan uh, origins of our island you know <laughs> and um, and so I think that had something to do with the Clahead Show, I think, um, yeah, but yes, I suppose looking back on it now Enya, anya's album appeared around eighty eight isn't it her first album, and there seemed to be quite a focus on uh, as you say the 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 magical and new age I, uh, I was listening to a lot of new age music, um uh, Wyndham hill records label e c m records. And so a lot of Yank and Garbarek and Oh my uh, god and the Hilliard saying, ensemble. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you think about it, I was Ultravox uh in eighty six and by eighty seven, eighty eight, I was I was listening to instrumental new age music and, and um and, and learning how to do my own sort of rituals. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And did you get into sort of earth energy and
0: ley lines and stuff like that?
1: I did. Yeah. Um because we lived in Spain, uh, I think the thirst for that world was greater. I think if I'd have stayed if we'd have stayed living in England uh, then perhaps I wouldn't have developed that um, you know, um real passion for uh these this the earth of that that we live in, in England. And um and so in Spain I sort of did my own studies uh yeah age 12 13 on Glastonbury Stonehenge Iona Um, I got a Cornish dictionary I do believe I spoke Cornish quite well when I was 12 nice Um, and all of these things have sounded strange for many years to people until I've obviously met a lot of other autistic people now (laughs) let's just say oh yeah standard it's standard just like you know it's just there's a there's the special interest of not being able to take an interest in something, uh, you're either if you're not interested or you know everything about it. So I, you know, I've been like that my whole life. But yeah, that was the thing for me. I it was absolutely desperate to move back to England, not just for the music, but for the history and the magical history.
0: Yes. Did you um? Did you get a new view over Atlantis? Was that John michelle John Mitchell? No no i don't I, I just that. remember that was one of those key books that a lot of people had you know with certain publications the sun and the serpent that was about these people who walked this ley line the st michael's ley line which went from cornwall through a breeze where it'd gone to glastonbury and then came out at east anglia somewhere people you know were very keen on those
1: kind i of... have to read that david i've not heard of it and um and of course the lay i had a um a, a bunch of books on ley lines and this woman that worked at a theater in when garola on the costa del sol for some reason just approached my mother and said i know your son's into all the king arthur legends and the gray legend would he like these books and gave my mother about 12 books about glastonbury and all sorts of um which really the odds of finding that on the costa del sol in 1987 is pretty slim you know yes. it's like um and and the ley line uh that which has fascinated me i loved the idea that there were energy lines that we could you know sort of be at one with the earth and that was what I was being taught by the order of, of the druid order by philip cargaghan and i i just yeah i i i i was you know, hook line and sinker and then when i did come back to england i ended up going to a school that i didn't know until i was there for a year that it was on top of a ley line <laughs> <laughs> right
0: <laughs> You were vibrating weren't you? I think so. <laughs> yes, God, it's fascinating, isn't it? But then did you um when you got to sort of the age of 16 did you stay on at sixth form or did you leave and go to college at this stage?
1: No, I never went to uh so it was I left Spain after auditioning for a Rudolf Steiner school. Oh, yes, I say auditioning because that was what my mother called it, you know, um which was uh an I'd only done because my mother didn't want me to leave, obviously, I was thirteen, and, but I said I have to go back to England, and so she said, uh you find yourself the kind of school that you might like, and then we'll go from there and I wrote to the vegetarian Society because I've been a vegetarian since I was born, uh, and said, so can you send me a list of schools where you can eat vegetarian food right. <laughs> this is my main concern at 13 this is true
0: yes you don't want to have school liver no
1: that's all i was frightened about i thought who's going? Like, i can't you know um anyway they they wrote back to me with this list of schools and the, uh, the first one was Rudolf steiner and um and you know my mother didn't have she wasn't a didn't have means you know we were sort of working class theater which is working class with a lot of second-hand books basically <laughs> yes <laughs> you know? and, um th- there wasn't really money for a school like that but she sort of indulged it and um and then took me back to england to, to meet the teachers and it went really well and uh they accepted me and bless her she just doubled her gigs and her cabaret shows to pay the school fees um in spain and as i moved out went back to england and uh and and really believe that was a opening up of the two things which, that were important to me at that age, which was music and then magic.
0: <laughs> yes, wow, music and magic—that's nice, actually. But then as the 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 nineties or well, the eighties finished with, and you mentioned four AD, and there was like bands like the, you know Throw Muses and. Uh, Yes, the Pixies, obviously, and then we had the the Seattle Grunge Sound. Did you Were you starting to sort of pick up on that kind of musical trends and the zeitgeist that was happening at that time?:
1: I did. I mean, it was I arrived uh, with my love of uh, Indian, traditional Indian m- music and uh, Mike Goldfield, tubular Bells, very progressive rock instrumental tangerine dream uh floyd kate bush art rock you know i i at 14 i arrived with all of that as my my backup mm-hmm. and then the other kids in the class that i was meeting were talking about a whole other scene that i'd never heard i've been in spain living in the mountains for four years you know so um yeah i think the wedding present was a band one of the first bands that i was uh, I remember hearing about. But it was it was Stone Roses, it was Pixies, uh, it was um trying to think The Verve uh very early on, so uh Suede very early on. So those i was 17 in 92. So I guess those sort of things were being presented to me by the other kids in the class and nobody really wanted to hang out with me and listen to um you Know, um, progressive rock for half an hour with <No>. incense burning. <laughs> um, people were the young kids that, that my age were they were cool and they were they seemed to be going to London and going to gigs, and uh, and so I changed drastically from the kind of I was a hippie, and I suddenly thought, oh, this I need to, I need to be more um edgy. It would appear. Yes. Uh, and then, then, of course, the Doors film came out in 91. And, uh, and oh, was Gino that with and Kyle McLaughlin? Became... Kyle <laughs> McLaughlin and, uh, and Val Kilmer. And that and that that sort of sealed it for me. I need to actually be a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the whole sort of, I don't know, hippie ritualist making music on his own in his tiny little uh converted doghouse in Spain in the mountains, and so turned into I need to lead a revolution, and I shall sing while I do it <laughs> that was,
0: yeah, that's a good idea, yes, yeah, so you were then sort of on that early cusp of what we now know as brick pop, really weren't you
1: Yeah, yeah, too young really. I think the leaders in brick pop were 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 the you know older ones, they're ten years older than me, I think even um and uh, yeah, I was I got with my first band, uh, Jacasta, and getting signed. I was I was in the young group, super young. Yeah.
0: Yes, you were very. I think with a lot of those bands who went on to do great things in the nineties, I think they were in the audience watching all those other bands like the Primitives and the Mighty Lemon Drops and. You know the Donald yeah Buds and the smiths and you know and all those and i think they were like they took that sound and just cleaned it up a bit and um and suddenly you know the music That's radio right. one changed as well didn't it you know that became a little bit they got rid of <laughs> simon bates and dlt and
1: um steve yeah Nye, i think and it all I became mean, a little bit more on it yeah, you mentioned the nme before david and and i think that is a large uh part of my education in the early 90s and i think um i recognized scenes you know actual scenes of music and being close to london and then eventually moving into london i i did start to feel that i wasn't a see and i never have been i've never been in a scene and i was the wrong age you know but people were talking about suede being influenced by the smiths and all this and i i'd never heard of i didn't know because i've been in spain before, you've been in mountains i just i was like i can talk to about barbara Streisand and Edith Piaf, but i don't know the smiths i've never heard of echo and the bunny man of course now i know but um but i i was at 14 or 15 i mean i didn't even know the difference between tory and um labor but which turns out to be quite prophetic in its own way <laughs> there isn't one anymore but you know um i was i i'd been living in in the middle of nowhere in Spain. I and and quite sheltered in nice ways. So um those scenes I think I unhealthily tried to become part of every single one I <laughs> I brushed up against in the 90s.
0: Yes. So how did your how did your caster start, by the way? What was the the moment it all you know lined up?
1: Well, I I was in the Steiner school and had brought started bringing my guitar uh, into school with me and playing in the break time and um I became really friendly with um it, the chap that became the guitarist in caster jack and um and he and his family were very well obviously, I was the kid that didn't really have a lot of family around, so you know, uh, I think a lot of the kids in my class were were quite kind in in, in a lot of ways and come around and stay at ours or come and have dinner with mum and dad and all that you know um which I'd not done before mums and dads were a new thing to me because my mum is gay and and there there was just one mum or two sometimes (laughs) suddenly (laughs) there was a mum and a dad so I was really uh not adopted but just included a lot and so my friendship with Jack became you know really tight when you're sort of 14 15 16 you're discovering lots of things for the first time and and uh and i think the band evolved out of that we were in the same art classes we just he chose the name of the band uh, from one of my poems and uh and so it was it was like beginning of making a new family for me because i didn't really have my older brother was in in around but obviously he had leading his own life at uh, 24 25 uh so i was um turning everybody I could find into a new family I think and and that's how the band evolved I, and I'd never planned on singing I just loved writing mm-hmm. and uh and I used to hide behind my hair when I did first start singing anyway um and that all sort of happened in Kings Langley and Hemel Hempstead uh in those in those parts
0: that's where dreams it's come night- true yes absolutely Great name isn't it <laughs> yeah so so when you got you know because you got interest in the record label uh, company quite quickly didn't you, Sony yeah,
1: um, they weren't the first label that got interested, uh so uh one little Indian with the were the the label people that really took interest, and um was that derek Derek, was it derek? derek Burkett, yeah, Derek yeah. Burkett who i think i i was only i've only been sort of not wined and dined but but taken out by a record company i don't know half a dozen times in my life and and that was the greatest uh uh occasion of being taken out by uh, a director of a record company because he's vegetarian he's vegetarian punk you know Yes, uh, and it was Derek burke it took me to i think the atlantic bar in in soho mm-hmm. but off, off Soho, Piccadilly rather and uh in ninety four ninety five and we had the most beautiful vegetarian meal and I was 19, you know, it was like wow. And he was telling me stories about Björk and uh, and all those fabulous bands that were Was he
0: in Indian. a flux of pink Indians, wasn't he? Was that flux? That's right. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um and that was yeah that was uh how it started with One Little India. But um but then Sony kind of waded in. Right. Was there a bidding war at this stage? Um, it wasn't like that. I think I, I have photographic memory. So obviously independent record labels reach out to the major labels for certain territories. Now, as I recall, one little Indian were trying to do a deal with Epic, which is Sony, uh, for Europe, but it hadn't come together. And then I was convinced by management that, wow, we should just go with Sony because they're interested anyway. And so the whole, I was too young. I think now I would have gone, no, I want to go with the smaller company and we'll worry about the other territories as I get older. (laughs) Yeah. But there was, I I, I just trusted everyone that was there and, you know, that's what they thought was the best option. So, yeah, it wasn't so much a bidding war that um, Sony just had so much power that they they brought each other's labels to the showcases and then we just ended up going with them i suppose
0: my god that's so impressive and did you you know get the album because you released several singles go was the first one then Change me did it all start to the sound of the band did that come together quite quickly at that stage
2: um
1: i think there were i think it's kind, of hard. it's kind of difficult to see where the sound came from, but I, th- I think, I think we were fu- the sound was fully formed before any record companies were interested. We had a thing going on uh, with the guitar. Um, it was like Smashing Pumpkins, but with a British edge, and I don't think there were many bands doing that. Leader were the closest right but they didn't quite have i was sort of singing in a ray davis way but with a smashing pumpkins kind of uh, engine <laughs> behind the song um and so that and that was pretty much there in the original demos so yeah i mean it it, it was a proper band it wasn't just I wrote all the songs and I demoed all the songs on my own but um but w- w- what um the rest of the band did to turn them into what people identify as Jacasta now was pretty ex- astonishing i mean yes yeah.
0: where did you where what studio did you use and producer for this
1: um do you mean for the album yeah the the album. album. We recorded at the Garden Studios, which is owned by The The's Matt Johnson. I don't know if he still owns it, but it's in Shoreditch. Um, and it was a, a, a basement studio, which was incredible, with some amazing rooms. And um, uh, Bruce Lampkov, who did a lot of The The records, including Dusk, which is one of my favourites. Yes, um, that's a style. he a produ- Oh, God. And uh, love, love Is Stronger Than Death and you know those kind of records so we were being looked after by by bruce and uh sonically uh i don't think it was always a smooth ride but th- there was a lot there was a lot of <laughs> i think we all thought we knew how it was supposed to sound um and uh, 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 uh it was a oh, it's just a beautiful time i rem- even though i remember getting running o- run, run down by a car on the last day of, <laughs> of recording no coincidence in uh, in the Spitalfields Market I got knocked down by a car but okay. um yes and I was going to say memory. the the
0: cover is beautiful who who came up with the idea of the cover
1: well I had the idea of it, it I wanted it to be a couple but um memory serves that Jack and I uh, were sort of guiding the uh art director and the design team together because we were both i mean he's a terrific i don't know now but he was a terrific artist uh, and um, um and so we were both involved in that i had the idea i think that, that I, I there were a lot of love songs on the album yes. and uh and it was it's not it's not something that anyone's ever talked about either. not when we were in jacasa and not since um people tend to talk about go and change me but um you know there's songs like perfect single as tell uh, face you uh, they're all relationship-based songs and that was the heart of it for me and i i really wanted there to be a couple on the cover
0: yes nice and did you i mean because at that time you know we had those shine compilations and Britpop, pop you know as i mentioned earlier was was absolutely sort of storming the charts at this stage did it did you feel like you were going to be was Jacasta something that you could see lasting for quite a long time?
1: It's funny. In one way, yeah. I'd been in a nice way plotting it since I was thirteen or fourteen. Um, when I, I, I started multi-tracking by, you know, breaking up old tape machines and thinking, I don't know what I want to do, but I'd want to do something like the Beatles when I grow up, you know. And um i really thought and i still do uh some of the songs on that album are i don't think there's any filler i think they're all really good songs i think they're all really recorded well uh, and, and produced well my voice sounds a little bit young for what i was writing i think in yeah. places uh but that's that's how old i was when i wrote it my voice hadn't really uh, settled but there was no doubt that i thought 97 was the year and so i'd i'd done a kind of yeah well 67 was and the 77 were important years because you've got like you know the pistols in 77 you've got hendrix in, and sergeant pepper in 67 and, yes. and I, I look at it now this is quite a typical kind of um thought pattern for an autistic person <laughs> but i really thought that was uh going to be one of the great albums of that period and to be honest on a musical level i think it is um but then if you don't have the same sort of push that other bands at the time like travis and stereophonics had they had management and they had had a lot of mm, their own sort of family i don't mean blood-related family but bands have uh families around them making making everything work and um and I think possibly because of me, uh, we didn't have that. We didn't have a lot of love around us. And, and it was because I I was terrified of really communicating, honestly. And I look back at it now and think, I didn't know how to make friends. You know? Right. I mean, it's a bit easy to understand now uh, because of my autism. But um, I was constantly pretending to be a big brave pop star and uh and and impress people and join clubs and you know and be what i thought everybody liked that was cool what i definitely wasn't was being myself and um and i think the band ending was a terrible thing in many ways and very sad and upsetting for everyone but um but for me as an individual i was my savior i think i i may not have lasted very long uh, if if we had have gone on the road that I thought we were,
0: yes. Did you have a moment in you know like that you can remember how the band finished? Did it sort of was it a phone call or did you all sit around the table and say no this is it, the end?
1: Um, it it didn't. Well, we got a fax from Sony just saying that they just were on the day the album came out, and that was the first we knew of it. We didn't know. That the band were getting dropped. No one had said anything. Uh so the album came out and the facts arrived saying they they're not picking up the next option And uh and so I think for, you know, we all met up, had a meeting with the manager. He he was trying some other things. There were there was a lot of meetings with other labels and uh other management as well, I think. And um and I mean I was not equipped. It was like being too you're you're sort of for me anyway i i decided to build a musical family when i was 14 or 15 and kept it going for 5 years and of course knew nothing about life <laughs> and so it, i i carried on with andy trying to secure the future of the of Jacasta and uh, and adrian and jack uh, had uh, begun another band and um and it got to the point where as i didn't have anything else that's all i had at that age i had my songs and i made i made, managed to make a, an amazing band um with really good friends i didn't have anything else so there was a sense after a while that everybody else is kind of doing their own thing and you know playing in other bands and i never i'm not a trained musician or anything like that
0: isn't it so then you you start your incredible solo career how does you know how did you manage to sort of
1: well not right away (laughs) yes it took a long time to start that one 20 years ago now but um yeah i mean so jocasta ended in 97 the year the album came out and uh, and i didn't start my solo career until 2004 my first solo album came out so there's a seven year. <laughs> yes, a, um, but
0: do you do you work with? It, there's something called Shakespeare's Globe. You become the mu- master of music there, composed in the original musical. Um, yes.
1: Yes.
0: So, you, so you go so, quite into an artistic career after this straight away.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, one of the greatest opportunities I was uh, ever given. I think, in in my, if we call it a career. Um, but in, in my life, it was just astonishing to have gone from being like Britpop, stepping on distortion pedals and doing headstands on stage in front of teenagers, like jumping up and down and moshing, to writing sixth-century liturgical music uh, for a new verse play written for Shakespeare's Globe. I, I look at it now, and think, my God. um I mean i'm known for being quite versatile but i and i think i've always thought it's a recent thing but, uh, but clearly not
0: <laughs> yeah that's quite uh, weird it's weird they didn't get someone like was it Catherine blake who was in miranda sex garden and then uh, medieval babes because i mean that's kind of her field <laughs> isn't it so how did you manage to get that gig that's quite un- unbelievable
1: well i um by 98 uh, i was in a, a relationship um uh, with a young lady whose parents were involved in running the globe at juliet rylance and um and so her parents mark rylance and, and um claire van camp and they were really so supportive of me having what they i think uh recognized as being quite talented uh, but also having just lost my band as well um and the director of a play had said to them they were looking for something that was a kind of Glastonbury festival kind of progressive rock maybe um feel some of the plays so of course they they just thought well him up for it uh, but i wasn't given it um i had to kind of uh, what's demos yes like, for the director um uh, and he and he just uh, tim carroll uh, you know extraordinary uh, director who's done a lot of opera uh, as well and um and then he, he he just uh he said yes and and i i i just kind of thought that was the most uh, amazing thing and of course it would it also brought me back momentarily i didn't stick with it but to, to that whole world of um, the magic, you know, yes. Shakespeare is such a magical terrain, and, um, and Shakespeare's Globe it itself is, you know, built on this beautiful ancient sacred geometry, which I was learning about at that time um, through Mark and Claire and Juliet, and it was just uh, an an amazing time. But I wasn't, I wasn't well, and I was still, uh, um, you know. Uh, using stimulants and going through addiction uh not anybody knew and so it wasn't something that i was able to start start a new career with um which i, I don't now but i over the years I, I regretted enormously that i just didn't see how lucky i was with that
0: yes but then you had an in you know just as we survived the millennium bug and 2000 you start another band don't you and you go into rockfield studios which is one of those famous places that we love watching gosh you know
1: your staff <laughs> yeah yes yeah. i started a band called spear shaker of course, yes. i was um i was very very um uh, what's the word um anointed by um the the mysteries of shakespeare thanks to working at the globe and so, yeah, I started a band called Spearshaker while well, I was still published by V2. And um, and we had an amazing recording, a couple of recording sessions, as I recall, at Rockfield. Yeah. And some uh, of those songs ended up later on um, a subsequent album of mine. called. On so Bridge. did you
0: stay there as a residential few nights and worked there and uh, recorded there?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: And what's your yeah. what was your take from that experience? Was it fun? did you um enjoy the countryside Enjoy the farmers?
1: I loved it actually and Simon Dawson, who is uh was the producer and and very close um is it mono valley it's called mono
0: valley is it is? Yeah, it might have been. um
1: and he he uh, took me out for a few days before my own before the band came and um got got to know the the area a little bit and I just it was really good for me um to get out of London actually but I um I didn't really think I had any problems then certainly with addiction I wasn't aware how uh, much of a problem it was but uh, I loved being there and I loved being at that piano that Bohemian Rhapsody was recorded
0: yes you know. this is true you uh, could uh, enjoy Freddie's energy
1: through the <laughs> yeah i just it was it was very magical um i'm looking at it now and thinking gosh yeah i recorded at Rockfield. i forget about that sometimes.
0: oh god no you should definitely remember that one then you know a few years later you go to thailand don't you with is this did you realize that you really needed to get did you get to a crossroads in your life at this stage
1: i did but as me saying it with twenty years hindsight benefit of hindsight. I I at the time I I didn't I I had no idea what what was happening in my life, I don't think. Uh I think it was too busy doing stuff. I think we all are to a degree when we're quite young, aren't we? we just we're not we're not taking stock at that time. But No,
0: we're not um, taking any stock of <laughs> disaster. Really.
1: We're not thinking and we're not thinking about the the you know, um perhaps our insensitivities to other people and our and our um, lack of self selflessness you know I will not say being i was selfish but i was uh I, I, yeah i was i was locked inside i couldn't remember i was just still a twenty seven year old undiagnosed uh autistic as well uh how the how i've managed to get through till i'm forty seven without knowing i've no idea but um it was a crossroads and the crossroads was very much to do with um, my addiction um to to not just drugs but um uh, a lack of a, i was addicted to not not loving myself really you know and that sounds terribly new age and hippie, hippie in some ways but i think it's it's true we we you can you can tell when somebody loves themselves healthily or whether they're sort of forgetting to give themselves love and i, I completely forgotten i you know the band had confirmed it by sort of all disappearing i thought well well if they don't like me well, they're, they're probably not worth liking right and then the record the record company had disappeared and that was like oh well that's obviously i don't there's no reason for me to be nice to myself if they're not going to be so all that's what i was saying before about these um these the framing that my mother had put up which was you'll be able to get a record deal it was the same thing as in my head when i was very young I was thinking that means i'll be okay and uh, i matter um and uh it took a long time for that to go but um yeah i was given the opportunity to go to thailand to a monastery who were known for making music out of nature and the person that um positioned that <laughs> journey to me knew about my deep love for magic and and that was a very magical person in my life who suggested i go to that monastery and so um it was a good trick really because i just i just thought well i've never been to thailand you know i think i'm still a bit uh cavalier <laughs> at <laughs> yes. some point but of course when i got there it, it really it hit me in the face with the the physical mental and spiritual sides of detox and rehabilitation began and there's something that of course i'm still on i don't think anybody who embraces uh any form of rehabilitation or detox ever gives that practice up. you know you live with it once you find out that your whatever trauma and in the early part of your life are prone to looking for stuff that's not good for you and then you have to manage that for the rest of your life And, and so um yeah i look at it now and sort of carried the monastery with me
0: was it was it quite an emotionally brutal time you know to to deal with those early moments in the monastery
1: i think it was for somebody that was so um emotionally immature in many ways not in all ways but in many ways i i was very i i was very unaware of other people's needs and and i didn't understand when um i didn't understand how to make uh people realize what was going on in my head I, and again i now know uh, after uh, therapy and also um incredible uh people at the nhs that have helped me with my diagnosis of autism that uh, you know i've had quite a, a lot of um neurological problems uh in my brain my whole life um and so i think i did quite well navigating myself out of drug addiction in a buddhist monastery in thailand yes <laughs> you know uh, looking back at it now, I I really love I love all all myself now because I look back and go God, you've been fighting there without with your two hands tied behind your back and you didn't know, you know. Um, yes. So it was. But sorry, your question was, um what was your question exactly?
0: Was it Was it emotionally brutal when you first, you know, had to go through those early stages at the monastery, as well as detoxing, as well i just wondered how it was both
1: physically spiritually and emotionally physically detox wasn't so bad i had never taken drugs intravenously you know i've I've never done that and so uh, and that i have witnessed other people uh, uh withdrawing from that kind of drug use so i didn't have a physical thing but emotionally yeah Um, it also came with the end of my relationship Um, so it was a lot of confusion a lot of pain and um, that I was far too immature to be able to process and uh, and and, you know able to process later on in my life but yeah that emotion of loss and uh, um, and being alone uh, it was um, necessary as well because it made me see that it was not just it wasn't just drugs that I was trying to fill myself it was just anything I needed to and I think anybody that's experienced addiction will say the same thing you know we're trying to fill a hole and uh, there is nothing to fill with the hole we have to get to the point where we recognize acknowledge the hole that we've got it's a gap there's bit something missing Uh, we have to make friends with it you know but yeah when i was when i was 27 i was yeah it was a lot of pain
0: yeah Yeah. did it um from that experience did you become did your judgment of other people change at that point because we when we're younger we we surprisingly judgmental even when we get a bit older i just wondered because you were talking about filling that hole with some something and some people fill it with it's you know i know this it's not already good to say good and bad things but sometimes people turn to stuff which you realize isn't good and then we judge them but then we realize that we also fill those spaces with something that might not be quite so destructive but we we realize that we can also be get quite um, I suppose judgmental on what people have chosen but we don't know why they've chosen it thus we shouldn't be judgmental because you don't know what people's backgrounds is and I just wondered if that experience changed the way you also related to people as well you know um looking at that that space that you had that you filled and then realizing well we all we all like that aren't we we all fill in those spaces but it depends what we fill it with and how we direct our energy
1: yeah i don't think at that point i had come out of myself quite enough to think about others uh, at all if i'm honest um i've had to learn to, i started doing that properly i don't know only in the last 10 years um there's a lot of information about um people on the spectrum having challenges in both directions with empathy sometimes quite over empathetic and sometimes just not empathetic at all uh certainly with me i was uh i was so self-absorbed to a point where i i I don't think i could hold a friendship or a relationship for several years after even after getting myself on the road to recovery i i it took me a long time to realize just how uh, disconnected i i i've always been not unhappy but it's really completely disconnected and of course learned how to uh, mask in front of people so that I could fit in and um and, and not really be my genuine authentic self um so i didn't i wasn't judgmental of other people but out of ignorance of not knowing enough about them <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah yes
1: it's not, kind of interesting. not because i was i was a blessed sort of non-judgmental person i just wasn't thinking about them enough
0: yeah yes that's interesting isn't it and then when you <laughs> came back did you feel like this is did you feel in a good space when you left thailand and came back to the uk
1: um well the first time i came back uh, it was just for a short while uh was just was to go to Stonehenge and and perform some rituals for the for the Buddhist monks back in Thailand um so that was fine but and then I went back to Thailand and carried on living there but when I did finally move back it wasn't good yeah it it's, it was really hard to be honest and I just I think I just thought right I can just get on with life again and live in the same place, and, and see the same people um, and follow the same path. uh not not to to, to um start using uh, stimulants again, but but do everything else the same, <laughs> um which I loved. I'm a creature of habit, so living back in Soho and all of that. And it, it it was just quite a nightmare, really, for me coming back from the monastery. Uh, it took me a long time before i felt uh comfortable in england again
0: yes how did that all affect your writing and your creative process um
1: creatively I, i it was at that time i i really had begun to uh get used to setting up portable studios wherever I lived um and so I was I think yeah mid 2005 to 2010 was that period where I I really mastered uh, home recording I suppose um but with writing I wrote a lot about what I've been through and did it cryptically and did it through characters didn't do it you know uh some of the songs i did in that period that, that there are people that that really love they think they're about other people and they're not <laughs> they're about me um so i started doing a lot of character writing because I, I guess i just couldn't sing it uh from my uh, personal perspective um yeah theatrically i think it was good it was it's a good thing uh but um yeah it 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 shaped it shaped the way i've worked ever since i think and being in the monastery did i was asked as a kind of weird buddhist practice uh by the wise abbot of the monastery to write 10 songs a day for a month you know this kind of stuff Mm. Uh, he would tell me to go away to my room and and do things like that
0: why did you when you came back from that go into this kind of the the soho boho kind of culture the the um the Colney room and muriel belcher and you know francis bacon and jeffrey bernard and these kind of praise but the kind of characters
1: mm-hmm. it's funny I mean, I'm uh, quite a few people uh, associate me with that, and uh, because of course I've done three different albums about Soho, and uh, um, but it was when I look back at it, like you mentioned the Colony Room. I remember this is the good and bad thing about having a photographic memory. I remember being in my flat at number four Brewer Street with a copy of Time out, and I was lying on my bed, and I opened it up, and suddenly there was all these photographs. Of a building uh, that was all green. The walls were green. The door was green, and it said the colony group. And uh, it was—I can't remember the name of the journalist, but um, it's about this fabulous place full of history, and, and it talks about Muriel Belcher and and uh, Michael Woodges and um, the uh, Jeffrey Bernard. And I realised it was two streets away from my flat where I was living. I've never owned a property in my life. I—I I, I was living. On housing benefit in Soho as I had most of my life in Soho and um and I thought I'm just gonna go there and ask them I want to be part of that and at the time I just for years but this is before my diagnosis I just thought because I'm like my mother and I just I love people and I go out and I want to make friends and I and I like I like get involved in things <laughs> look at it now and go no no you are desperate to connect. Not desperate out of sadness. It's it is really quite a normal thing for an autistic person to want to. connect We don't want to have small talk. I've never had small talk with anybody in my life. It's like you know, I can't. I can't do it. I have to have a good conversation with somebody. And so I just <laughs> look at it now and go, God, you just what a place to have been. Being so lucky to have been living in Soho with this condition <laughs> where everybody actually wants to have a deep conversation about something a lot of the time i don't know about now so much but certainly when i was living there and uh and that's i went round there and within uh two days i was the sound engineer at the colony room
0: <laughs> yes yeah that's amazing and you meet a huge array of people you start to collaborate and work with at this stage as well so it does things the stars do seem to line up for you at this point don't they
1: i think they do yeah it was around that time 2005 2006 and Jacasta wasn't ancient history so much that some people uh whether they were running venues or something like that uh were, were oh right yeah of course so i'd be able to get a gig because i've never had you know management or an agent or any of those sort of things so i was doing everything myself um and it was yeah it was it was it was good and my partner at the time was really encouraging of me being able to set up my own label which i did and that was starting to become possible in a diy way 2005 2006 because of the internet you know yes. um that was a really exciting time um i met jonathan hill the violinist he's my my best friend in the world he's played violin on all my records um and that of course i'd missed being you know with a big record label who who provided me with the London Symphony Orchestra when I was 19. And suddenly I'm with one violinist who can play everything and I know how to track it now, you know. Yeah, it was, that was a really, uh, once I'd finally got it myself together being back in Soho and thought, I, I want to try this again, but without the, you know, bad behavior, let's call it.
0: Yes, it's it's kind of interesting. But then you you do, you meet Lindsay Kemp, the great mime artist and dancer, don't you? How did this kind of um, collaboration and relationship develop?
1: Well, that's uh, um, many years later. But um, when I was in Jocasta, uh, I was really excited about the idea of working with Lindsay Kemp. And I was uh 20 and I remembered going to Sony and talking to the video commissioner saying I've got a great idea for the video for the next single change me and uh, I want to work with this mime artist Lindy Kemp to which everybody at Sony just kind of laughed and uh I just thought what's what's the problem and they were like no 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 we need to work with this director you know, we, we need you to work with him because of this reason and you know it's a system i didn't know that then i know now it's like any other sort of corporate system um i took 21 22 years before i would work with Lindsay kemp i never met him and uh, and it was living in soho in 2013 that i googled him and saw that he was living in italy and so i'd started thinking maybe i could work with him again. It maybe it could happen because i've done a lot independently by that point yes and then bowie died uh it's 2016 right and i got the feeling then people that i have learned from are older and they're going and if bowie's gone i never got the chance to meet him or work with him um Then Lindsay's probably quite old now, and I looked into that. I thought, my God, he's, you know, late seventies. That's it. I'm going to write him a letter. It took me all that time, and I wrote him a letter, and it turned out that he'd been listening to my songs about Soho for years already. Oh wow. I was I was amazed because he was still just this otherworldly genius artist. You know, I had to, I had to, whenever I thought about him, I had to stop doing everything else. You know, when I wrote the letter to him, I was just like, no, I can't do that now. I've got to, I'm writing this, Um, you know, he was so important in my head already. And then he just said, let's get together and do something.
0: So had it been, you know, listening to people like Kate Bush and David Bowie mentioning him that, that, that sort of, he came onto your radar or was it some other way? Kate Bush.
1: Right, 100% Kate Bush. I bought a book by Fred Vermarelle, or Vermarelle, uh called The Secret Life of Kate Bush uh, in when I was 12. And that had a lot of uh, information about her um, interest in Balinese theatre, Gurdjieff and Spensky, and um, and the Balinese theatre stuff. that then talk, talked about her being taught by Lindsay Kemp. And when I first read about Lindsay Kemp, I thought it was a woman. I mean, this is, I was writing, reading this when I was 12. And uh, and I just thought, who is she? Who is Lindsay Kemp? And then the name kept coming up again and again. Yes. And then when I was 17, my older brother, who works in film, was working on Kate Bush's film, the, uh, the, uh, the Cross the Line and the Curve, uh, the Red Shoes film. And... Um, and Lindsay was in it. I didn't meet him, but apparently I was on set uh having a look for just for one day. And so I think without realising, he's always been there, you know, somewhere close. And then we got together in t- 2016, finally.
0: Right. Were you recording your album, I Am For You, at that stage as well?
1: I was. I've been recording it since 2015. Right. Yeah i generally overlap my albums so the soho hobo came out in 2015 but i had already been working on i uh, am for you into i think even before that in 2014.
0: had you put was the soho boho was it soho
1: but yeah soho hobo
0: hobo not boho Hobo. Bad, um, yeah. did was that the the kind of closing of that sort of chapter for you at that that sort of 2015
1: that kind of episode or chapter in a way it was. It's when I moved out of Soho. I didn't intentionally it wasn't like kind of Bowie, that's it, I'm killing Soho over. Like you did with Ziggy Stardust. It was it wasn't an intentional thing. It was um I've never been able to do anything beyond the moment I released the album. Once I've released the album, it's like that's the bit that you can only do anymore with if you have loads of money to fund things. Yes. Um, the bit beforehand, releasing singles, doing shows, um, doing interviews, or, or uh, a little bits as you're going along. The al- uh, releasing an album has always been that's the end for me. You know, I, there's no, I can't do anything else after that unless somebody's going to come along and say, uh, you know, they'll pay f- for the band to go on tour. But you know, in twenty years, no one ever has. So I, I just that's what it is. Uh, when an album finishes so soho hobo came out in may 2015 uh, we did the album launch at the um, soho theater and mark Ullman guest did and it was beautiful uh, and then i moved out of soho because i had been running the Save soho campaign and uh, it's funny in running and trying to save soho i kind of ruined it for myself I, I i lived there for that long because i i was left alone all the time no one spoke to me it was great I just yes. walked it? around the streets writing in my head <laughs> then suddenly yeah. it was like yeah I would be writing music in my head and someone would come up to me and start talking to me about justifiably the rent being raised on their building or that and it's like hang on I'm not a politician I'm, I'm not a I'm not a counselor I'm a singer and I'm a writer and I, and I, I, I didn't like it I didn't like living there anymore uh, which was really sad, actually, <laughs> for me, because I it, it, I would have loved to have lived there m- my whole life. But then I, I made myself quite well known through uh, the work I've done writing about Soho and campaigning, that when I go there, I, I'm not anonymous. I can be anonymous anywhere else, <laughs> but not in Soho. Yes, a
0: spokesperson. That must have been quite scary, really, having to um, be... Yes, people I guess were wanting you to be always out there campaigning, doing it.
1: Yeah, and of course I just pretend that I was capable of doing that. I wasn't. If I had so many breakdowns and meltdowns. Um but of course I was like I just kept telling myself oh stephen fry's your chairman you can't you've got to. you've got to you have i can't afford to go there to have that meeting you've got to you'll have to walk you know i mean I, i'm the worst person for i just punish myself and don't have that kind of uh bit of my brain that says no 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 you, you can't do that <laughs> you, can't, you have to say you can't do that interview or you can't do that tv thing or whatever and it's just i just kept doing it yes um
0: when you so, were doing the album, yeah. I'm For you, do you, was that a nice experience? I'm, I am say that because I've, I've listened to that a lot and it's a fantastic album. And there's one track on it, which I think is stunning, called Crying Colours. And it just, it's just a kind of a beautiful piece of work. So I just wondered what state or where you were emotionally when you were putting that album together and writing it.
1: Oh, that's really lovely to hear you say that. Uh, thank you, David. I mean, um, it is a really special album to me and it it's yeah the crying colors was very much the sound of uh somebody who thought they could make a fix a relationship i think and a lot of the songs on that and all of them. but a lot of the songs are um uh <laughs> I was brought up on the fairy tales that of, of, of musicals and movies, thanks to my mother, and uh, it took me a long time to meet reality, <laughs> the reality <laughs> of the of of uh, things all turning out perfectly all the time is is it can happen, but it's it, it's not the norm. You know, uh, those songs are really written from a probably the last time I thought I could make fairy tales. Uh, happen <laughs> in real life so there's a there's an absolute certainty that a relationship can survive or a relationship can uh transcend into something uh that lasts forever i think there's a few songs on there about forever things going like lasting forever um and yeah um it's it's what's the word it's naive still but, but i kind of like it and i think other people like that as well even though we know it's hard life is hard and love is hard love is hard isn't it yeah uh, and that's the good the good part about it as well it's work isn't it? you've got to work at love um and it's i i love that album because it, it's mostly about a relationship but it finishes with universal love with my song what love would want Uh, that was that's why it's the last song on the album but it's actually one of my most popular songs and um and and uh so it was it came out of that this kind of striving for a one-to-one relationship to be everything that it could be and then suddenly my energy just shifted into kind of supporting uh causes of of those who who don't get to love who they want to love you know because of yes. the lgbt community yeah that was the beginning it, i think of empathy for me
0: it's yeah. a, yes it's 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 very it's one there is a theme isn't there but you do say love will not hurt so um on it on it as well and um won't fail you as well so um there's a, there's a lot of commitment on that album
1: there's a lot of commitment and um and 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 i think really admirable but actually it's only after that that i realized probably for the first time in my life that the only thing i really needed to learn to commit to was myself you know i was doing a lot of loving uh in other directions <laughs> as a distraction i think we do that don't we, we do, it's hard to love ourselves and take care of ourselves and um and be good could be good yes. friends to ourselves and, and and we distract ourselves from doing that by focusing on family or partners or you know work all kinds of stuff
0: well i suppose the stories we tell each ourselves in those moments when we're on our own are quite powerful and quite interesting and so it's interesting when you you know you're so one can be so critical of oneself just you know those those kind of the language you know to describe yourself oh i'm always messing up or i'm always failing or no one loves me it's kind of it's just reinforcing something which you one yeah. day have to stop and go. Hmm, perhaps i should stop saying things like that to myself it's
1: interesting it's interesting you mentioned that song won't fail you because i i hear that now and think yeah i i that's that's very me um to to, to promise to people I don't let people down. Oh, I haven't done for a long time, and I don't like letting people down. But it's myself that I'm <laughs> is, is the, at the expense always of letting myself down. Yeah, and so there's a hard one to get your head round. I think. But <coughs> excuse me. Um, that album is I I do love that record, and I made it with Nick Southwood, who um, who's a really dear friend, and has been there for me uh, a lot, and was. Th- there for me through that end of a relationship and making that album yeah he, he produced that with me But
0: where did you go from soho where did you then sort of find yourself living
1: well i went back to childhood i mean i you know i lived in Marswell hill until i was eight and uh it's always been a place that that's where i lived with my sort of my version one of what family was which was me my mum and my brother and um so when soho became too difficult for me to stay in i just thought that hasn't changed muswell hill hasn't changed and it looks the same and um, and there are a few people up there and i found somewhere which looked that i could rent that was really unusual and i only really like unusual (laughs) places to live in um and um and so yeah uh that and it was it's actually on the road where my um primary school is <laughs> so right. i literally went yeah from being in Frith street surrounded by you know taxi drivers um prostitutes drug dealers and you know and all the artists and the wonderful things but uh, straight into kind of nappy valley young families uh beginning their families and and that's when i started beginning my family uh which was me and my sort of inner child that this this person that at that point i'd realized oh there's a bit of me younger that hasn't been nurtured and um, a bit too late for parents to do it i better do it myself and i think not it wasn't as straightforward as that in my head at the time, but it kind of was on a heart level. I yes. was going back, back to, back to fixing myself uh at a, a deeper level than I have ever had done before. I think.
0: Did you did you have therapy at that stage?
1: Not at that stage. I was still very much running the whole Save Soho campaign, and we were making a film and and all of that, uh, but getting away from soho and suddenly being in leafy north london and with memories of a more innocent me you know as a child was just making me softer and i i think i did that on purpose i needed to soften soften up you know i mean been so hard I, I and i think living in soho but anyway that it's a really tough place and and to be honest when i when i go back into soho i i really harden up for my partner kate always i think she mentions i i start looking like i've got some armor on when i get in there Yes, yeah, it's, it's
0: funny um, yes it's um yes so, you you have to you have to sort of yeah it's interesting isn't it where you suddenly have to take a few deep breaths and you know channel the spirit of rocky or bruce lee or something yeah
1: yes <laughs> yeah Part of of it came from Britpop. I think part of it came from uh, Soho, you know, just this like tough exterior. Did you I mean, you never
0: sort of fell out of love with creating and and music, because obviously with that, you know, the album that we just mentioned, you then sort of do a trilogy of classical albums with Jonathan Hill, don't you? So obviously Mm. you're able to. Roll on it do, does having that focus is that incredibly important? You never wave and think, oh, I've just had
1: enough of this whole business. Not the making, no recording music. I, I just, um, writing and recording is as normal to me as breathing. Um, I mean, I know now that from a young age that that's been how i've regulated that a slightly chaotic mind with music um but it's i've never thought i will ever make uh, I'll, I'll stop doing that you know uh I, I i do think i might stop doing it in public you yes. um, know not in a not in a miserable way um in a in a in a kind of it brings a lot of heartache and 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 stress and trouble that you're not able to share <laughs> with other people because of course there's it's a, you know it's a it's a it's a game isn't it um whether it's showbiz or or art and and the making of uh it, there's two sides there's the people making it and the people that want it and um it's far too important to me to 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 rest on and depend on external acknowledgement recognition uh, not being understood and i would never have said this uh, when i didn't know i was autistic but now i'm i'm really keen to take care of my my brain <laughs> and my heart and um and so i'm not sure about the making of it in public forever um, right. but i will always i will always create yeah
0: yeah. Did David Bowie give you that kind of strength, listening to his albums and his kind of interviews and his processes, you know, over those years? Because he had the, the 60s period, which was a bit hit and miss. Then he had the the 70s, which is the kind of where he lives it. And he does like one album a year, produces a few albums, relocates, does these amazing tours, gets divorced, has a child. You know, it's amazingly, you know, debauched, but you know, he lives that that character quite solidly and then the 80s he's not quite that character and his albums aren't quite so amazing but it's still interesting and then he picks it up in the 90s and it's quite another kind of interesting decade and then it all sort of comes to a bit of a halt with reality you know after heathen reality i just it's always been interesting you know it's always interested me you know the way he made music and his different little moments and the way he describes some of the processes and you know, some of the, you know, the critical success or the kind of commercial disasters that he had with certain albums. So, you know, and as well as the Let's Dance period, I just wondered if, if that ever helped or helped, you know, sort of navigate you in any way.
1: Um, I was never an expert on Bowie, and I was not an expert on Bowie. Um I didn't, I think Suede were my a gateway into understanding the importance of his work in the 70s Um, and then i think possibly uh not long before he died i started realizing that i'd been making albums in different characters and someone had said well it's like you're like Bowie, aren't you because it's like you, you have a different of a different thing for every album like an actor and i hadn't noticed that i was doing that and that was probably when i was i don't know 40 no not 40 maybe late 30s um just thought i was so committed i did a shakespearean album sonnet 155 and that was I, I made a character for that called will tallis and he dressed a certain way and his hair a certain way. There was never seen in any other way other than that i just thought that was what i was doing at the time that's who i was um tell when i look back on it i did a retrospective um in the roundhouse uh in 2017 and <laughs> it was for that actually that we realized ah oh, i've done i keep changing who i am uh and uh and so yeah i guess i didn't get that from bowie but by realizing that i was doing that and then studying how, how he moved from character to character as well has helped me understand that that's okay <laughs> because yes. I, I was used to the music industry and everybody that i've ever met in it pretty much uh, on the business side just saying you need to do something consistent you know you did this album and then you suddenly did something completely different tim and you know you've got to ch- you know i've had that my whole life of making music just being told that there's something wrong with me because i keep changing tack um, and i remember talking a lot uh throughout the years about how irritated i was that you know oasis uh, during their heyday just kept making the same record, and I didn't understand it. You know, I just thought, look at the Beatles for God's sake—that just like you're not meant to recognise them um, yes. for the last sort of I don't know seven albums or something. The point isn't it? Listen to a Queen's "A Night at the Opera." It's, I mean, the, the, all the band is taking a different lead, and the, it goes from like "Seaside Rendezvous" to "Bohemian Rhapsody," and nothing's meant to stay the same. Uh, of course, that's me being in love with the seventies, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> the two thousands was was the path to homogenization and I, I didn't get it until recently. And then I thought it's too late. That's this is what I do. I do something that's different to everyone else, but very it is very similar to how Bowie approached music. I think.
0: Yes, absolutely. And did you ever get to meet Kate Bush? Because obviously, you know, she had a big part in your life. Did you ever sort of have that moment?
1: I, only when I was um, 16 or 17, and um, as I said, my brother spent a few years working uh, as part of her video uh, production team, and um, uh, from the sensual world through to uh, the Red Shoes, that period of the late 80s, Uh, everything after Hounds of Love and before uh burial Um, yes so yeah i only i didn't meet her but i did it it was a funny thing i was standing next to my brother and we were watching the take of the sensual world actually i think it was and she was running through the uh the, the forest uh this beautiful sort of plush um deep red plum I think uh gown on and dancing and I was 60s, uh, 70 I just was so amazed I just thought what is this this is amazing and uh and then it all stopped the music stopped and I heard machines kind of cooling down and you know it stopped the take and uh, and she just walked right up to me and said thanks Tim wow and, and i couldn't believe it and then i realized she hadn't said thanks to him she said thanks team
0: oh
1: team so <laughs> close uh, but she but then she looked at me and smiled and i walked obviously to a dressing room and um yes. and uh, that was yeah i must have been 15 16. was it the sensual world Am I getting that mixed up well that was um, um that 87 central that's 87, 87. no it can't be the central world. must have been around the same time as well, It might have been though my brother would often say um he worked on some fabulous uh, productions and videos in the 80s and we, i think we'd invite my shoes was
0: probably 92 but i can't i mean the central world is my favorite kate bush album but side Two Psy, um side of hands of love is also magical because it has so many odd songs which you know, you know, they, they like talking it's about consistency, theater, there, isn't it? There, Yeah, there's there's kind of little folk songs. There's these kind of ones about being under the ice. Um, I mean, they're stunning and and sort of a guy saying you know i don't know hearing somebody saying you're all grown up now you're all grown up and then this kind of narrative comes in and it's stunning and then obviously Sensual world has the bulgarian folk choir and david gilmore's guitar on various songs and
1: oh so influential for me all that the trio bulgarka i i yeah, I nice. listened to within I don't know, a few months of having the sensual world i, I it's uh, it's been like that i find kate bush Oe and Peter Gabriel are uh, three artists who are libraries. They're not artists. <laughs> They're just libraries of of not just what they uh, they are bringing uh, as artists, but everything else that they've introduced, many of us too. I think it's extraordinary.
0: Yes. Well, there's a kind of a song which is on Central World where she sings all the things we sh- should have said, but we didn't, all the things we should have done, <gasps> but we didn't. That's kind of, you know, that's where you just yeah. Think... Yeah.
1: that's it's this okay. woman's work.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just yes. a beautiful
1: album and the strings that really taught me in fact my i mean, my latest single is very influenced by uh heads with dancing in particular mick khan's bass playing was something that i became obsessed with uh when i started making super connected um, not not particularly from the japan period but you know uh, the, the the stuff that she he did on uh sensual world as well just extraordinary
0: well he did um was there a song called Boy and also Heartbeat as well. I think that was yeah. Carnot David Sylvian. Those singles that suddenly mm. came out were just stunning. They were just the most amazing. So um so how yes, I know it's a bit boring, but lockdown, how did you cope then with the lockdown period of this decade and then that that early period for you creating and living in sort of um yes london north london
1: well i mean yeah lockdown was quite an amazing experience for me i in 29 i finished what, what when you know my new my latest album that's out uh on in may i finished recording that in 2018 and then i did the project with lindsey Kemp. um in Manchester, what love would want. And then he passed away and uh and I was in a bit of a state about my album because I didn't I, I wanted to release it, but then I suddenly realised it's such a heavy concept album and I just thought nobody nobody's gonna g- get this and so I started writing a film script for it. And of course I've been brought up with the wall and and Kate Bush's feature length film for, for the red shoes. The, the, yes so i just even without budget or money or anything uh, i just thought well i'll, I'll do that <laughs> um and i, I it was only, i only decided to do that when i was in rome um at Lindsay kemp's funeral and uh i went i was invited to sing at the funeral and um and it felt like yeah i could make a silent movie because he was the silent poet you know so i thought <laughs> In, in dedication to him because he taught me a lot uh, and uh so this is 2018 and so i came back to england finished writing the movie script and then in 2019 made it and i um i had cast actors mostly that i knew uh to do this concept album and uh, in uh, uh, on screen um in a drama that i would written for the, all every single song and and, um, and then I ended up having to play one of the parts <laughs> I didn't want to do, but then thought, like Barry said, you know, if if you feel outside of your comfort zone, you're probably in the right place. Yes, I was like, yeah, I really don't want to act because then I thought, this is it. This is my Barbara Streisand moment. I've written the songs, I've recorded the songs, I've written the film script, I'm directing the film, and I'm now going to feature in it as an actor as well. I <laughs> just like, I didn't. This was not the plan, and yet he says, um, and uh, anyway, I the actress that I was playing the partner of uh, on screen with uh, um Kate Alderton. Um, she and I got to know each other really well, and um in this in the in the big day that we had acting together, we had two scenes one of them was having a massive fight and then about two hours later we had to do a really beautiful making up scene <laughs> and so we did the gamut of a relationship at its worst and its best within the space of one day shooting and um, and in real life we've been together ever since
0: blimey it's it's just such a great moment isn't it I don't see it's a, it was incredible
1: yeah and 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 the magical part about it was that i'd sort of written that as a as a bit of a prayer in in the album uh, most of the album is, is written in, in characters uh, from different characters perspectives characters with mental health disorders and um but there was one bit i smuggled in which was that oh it, a little bit of the essence of i am for you but still i still believe in love that things will be okay so in this really kind of tormented album there's this moment where it, it might everything might be okay and you know the guy gets the girl and it's that we have to go gone back to the fairy tale and sure enough that that became real and we've been together ever since and she's the most important person in my life well yeah, um, absolutely you asked about lockdown so i i lived with her and her two kids in lockdown
0: what was the album you were just talk, talking about just to make sure I don't go off on the wrong when I have a look later?
1: The, 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 late, the one that's not out yet? It's out in, No, the one year. that
0: you had worked on with, Kate, Kate. What was that particular album?
1: That That's the one, Super Connected.
0: Super, right, i got you.
1: Yeah, the one that I've done the film for.
0: Yes, that's the yeah. one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's finally coming. I mean, that's, I've been working on for seven years uh and it's very much influenced by lindsay and um and uh, you know it's about social media and connection and um and of course it was meant to come out in 2020 but obviously (laughs) the world had other plans for all of us and uh and that's that's why it's taken seven years because uh well i think that's why but yeah the lockdown was the first time i'd really lived it, uh, with somebody else in an isolated situation and um and it was kate who said a couple of months into lockdown th- that perhaps i might want to get tested for autism uh she didn't say it like that she said it in the most uh, only the beautiful way that only she can say something like that and um uh, yeah it took two years yes um till i was diagnosed um which is why i only found out last year but yeah that that was the beginning of lockdown was the beginning of a kind of maybe i struggle with things because there's a reason <laughs> and it might not be just all the very glib and uh sort of impatient comments that people have <laughs> thrown at my door uh throughout my whole life about the difficult person that I am. Maybe there's yeah. a reason why I'm difficult. So,
0: with with, with those releases in the, in the last couple of years, like Tales from the Tracks and maybe Magic, were they were they tracks that you'd recorded before, or were you doing these during
1: the lockdown no. as well? um No, maybe Magic. um So the, what, what so the so Super Connected was like the is the biggest project I've ever worked on. Yes, and that was. That was begun in twenty sixteen and it's coming out now in twenty twenty-three. But because it's it's so important to me, uh, I, I couldn't release it every year. And so I just I, I write songs pretty much, you know, every other day anyway. And I like releasing albums. I like making albums. It's it's a it's a compulsion for me to do the artwork, to do the to do the text font yes. laying, everything all of it. Uh, and so all those albums that you just mentioned you know that's just me carrying on knowing that my real baby that i'm proud of and love more than anything else i've ever made is still waiting (laughs) but uh, yeah, maybe magic i did i recorded in a lockdown yes uh, end of 2021 maybe and uh no end of 2020 i recorded that then i left it i did it for kate so kate had it She's the only person that had it for a year, and then I said after a year, right, I'm going to release that now. (laughs)
0: Excellent. Yes, I've got it. Yes. So basically, I did do an interview with someone outside our artists a few years ago, and they they were, I think, releasing an album a day as well as painting. It was just like if somewhere in America. Wow. I was thinking, I'd have to become
1: a lot less fussy about (laughs) (laughs) to do one a day. Yeah.
0: It was. was, Yeah. It was a punishing. punishing schedule he was on but obviously he was driven by it all so um so yeah so super connected is and that's going to be coming out very soon and with the single that's out on spotify which i was listening to as well which is start with the sound is that on a different project as well
1: No, that's the lead single on super connected right yeah um and interestingly going back to what you were talking to me about before start with the sound is the first song i wrote when i moved out of soho and moved into muswell hill um literally on the night that i moved in yeah that was that was start that was how i started the new life away from soho really right yes. song.
0: it's interesting that you've you've got this as such a you know like you're able to work on this project which is like held in such a Space and then be bringing out all these other little bits and pieces, a bit like your these are your notes or your uh work that um yes, you just yeah. think oh that's not part of this concept,
1: yeah, I guess they're i mean they're all very very different, and it's because when I get interested in something, I get interested in it in a very in depth in detail wide way um maybe magic was absolutely i had space in my heart for um the new age acoustic music that i was listening to as a kid uh, by michael hedges and um uh and i i wanted to make a record that sounded like that so that's what it was what i was writing about the lyrics were all a lot of songs about um kate and i where we met and um but then a lot of songs about um you, you know um authors uh that i've been reading and ideas and philosophies that i've discovered and just been writing the notes down and thinking the whole time i'll get round to that at some point but i've got super connect to deal with which is like you know mixing songs, film editing and well this yeah it's a world it's like a universe uh, and, right uh, but then every time it's like well I can't release that yeah I thought well I've got to release something it's a compulsion to be to get it out of me and I think that's probably why um, relationships with people and friends and colleagues are often quite difficult because I've got so much that I have to share I now know this to be quite normal for an autistic person it's called info dumping um, and that's why um it, it's it's easy to get me to speak in interviews <laughs> as well. <laughs> right. It's all there already. <laughs> yes. Just,
0: yes. So with maybe magic, songs like The Spectrum of Love, Shine Your Light, Opening Doors, is that all very much part of your experience of autism? Were you were you kind of connecting with that
1: those kind of ideas at the same time? No, I didn't know then. No, I was only I had two Now, I didn't. I think I'd only four months. I was. I'd been. I'd applied and made the application for a diagnosis at that point. So I didn't. I hadn't even started studying. It was only maybe a year before i was diagnosed that i started really thinking i should study this now because i've had a few assessments and it was looking likely um, yes amazing but no that was um alan watts uh, reading alan watts with the spectrum of love and um and getting uh, and robert anton wilson these uh, great human beings that just uh think differently and it was making me think differently so no i it wasn't i autism wasn't really on my mind at that point but it was definitely sort of starting to pulse through me from somewhere deep inside
0: yeah yes did it i mean because it's kind of an interesting bit of timing isn't it like, with super super connected then having your diagnosis did it feel like the project shifted during that time when you realized some of the the answers to some of the kind of questions you had about your
1: life super connected is i think one of the most magical uh, projects i've done the most magical project and and I believe it's got its own energy, and I, and I also believe it's as close as I've ever got to personifying my music. And when I say that, music I think of as a friend that I've had since I was born, and that we began playing with each other when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, you know. What's super connected is, is that friend coming into its own and growing arms and legs and <laughs> <laughs> saying right i'm 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 here now and i've got stuff i want to do as well as you we know that you've had things to do tim but i will and it and it feels like what it wanted to do was show me that i i have this condition because when i started working on super Collected, i was in a i suppose a very uh typical writer mode mm-hmm. i thought i need to write about something i care about i need to write something that i have experienced and, uh, and and write in different characters and i i really did study a lot about um different mental health disorders and and thought and, and whilst observing how many families find it difficult to communicate without their devices Mm. and so i wrote all these songs from these different perspectives like an actor you know taking on different roles and um i'm thinking i was probably quite clever <laughs> <laughs> yes. and 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 wasn't it good that i i don't have a disorder that i can i can serve people that do have to. And so there, i kind of got this slightly aloof position at the very beginning not in a bad way, but like, well, there's nothing wrong with me, so I will you know, or nothing unusual about me. So I will uh I will speak for those that can't speak about their problems. <laughs> Just look at it now and 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 think, God, yeah, no idea. Because the result of it is that I started off pretending to be uh, you know challenged in a neurological way you know mm-hmm. and then by the end of the project literally the week that i sent the masters off to be made into vinyl i was diagnosed with my own disorder which i've always had
0: oh that's amazing timing that's just an amazing
1: story it was insane it, it was insane it's been it's been miraculous but you know i mean i think but many late diagnosed uh, autistics will tell you that what I had, which is it's a relief and regret like hitting you at the same time. Cause you look yes. at everything you've ever done and go, oh God, I wish I knew then, because I wouldn't have done that. I would have done this, you know. And then you look at what you're doing tomorrow and go, ah, I can make a different choice now.
0: Yes, that's and you know? um, that's quite empowering actually, isn't it?
1: but that's what superconnected is to me on a personal level i still think it has a, a, a you know it's got a lot to do with big tech and the way that technology and ai and social media is either like you said helping or hindering uh, us as people as families
0: yes it's very tricky so the album's out next month 2023 and you're going to be able to ones can get it on cd vinyl and download
1: yeah, CD, vinyl, and download, and um mostly through my Bandcamp, but it, it it is on all those uh, streaming platforms as well. Apart Fantastic. from uh, apart from Apple, it's not coming on Apple yet.
0: Well, look, I hope it goes well. I mean, I know it's probably going to be a bit tricky because of you know your diagnosis, but I mean, if it was anything you could have whispered to your sixteen-year-old self starting out, is there anything you'd thought? Oh, that would have been worth or good knowing. I mean. Yes, I don't know if there was any life's lessons that you think. Yeah, that was that was really something I've learned, which I'd love to have been able to tell myself before before they went out into old adulthood.
1: Mm-hmm. You mean go back to time travel and go and say something to my youngest? Yes,
0: go blimey, don't. Yes, do this or don't do that. And um
1: well, I don't really regret my life uh, in in the final analysis of things um and uh so i i that you know to go back and say something would change things and I yes this is true i wouldn't want to change things on on uh, on the other hand um i could have i could have possibly ended up with um I, I don't know i i i might go back and and tell myself as a younger person to spend a bit more time with my mother yes i think when i was younger and 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 my other mum as well who helped bring me up her part her, one of her first partners i think that's the only thing i think i uh that well i look back i don't i don't regret things but i i look back and go you can't get that back when you get older you know they get older and you start losing your your, your parents and Yes, and, this, and life is busy for you, but for for them in one way internally, and for you because you're whatever well, in your 40s or your 50s, and, and life is busy, isn't it? And I think, gosh, I did a lot of there were a lot of times I spent more with my mom when I was younger. So I'll probably go back and say, do you know what? Go, just take up a, on the offer and go and see her.
0: <laughs> yes, I think that's probably yes. That's the one thing that I would have. Done. Yeah, I think that's it really, <laughs> isn't it? you know don't waste everything else
1: waltz and all all the mistakes all the upsets of hurting others hurting myself i can see how it all makes sense in a way yeah i don't think i don't think you can you can adjust that really
0: and also i think someone when i said something like you know regretting these, but you made the best choice or decision at the time with what you had and that was it you yeah. didn't think you were making a bad choice at that time you you were making the best but obviously now you're hopefully a little bit you know wise and you've learned some more lessons and you're very sober about everything so you probably don't you know make those kind of patterns the the mistakes that become patterns are quite interesting because then you realize actually i'm not a victim i'm i'm choosing to do things and that's leading to that consequence so i need to. Take a bit more responsibility, and then make a choice, and then the outcome will be slightly different. Well, will be massively different. So um, yes, that's true. That's what I've learned. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. No,
1: I think it's right. I think we. It's it's all about accepting everything. Accepting our our strengths and our weaknesses, and and being okay with both. You know uh being okay with with the joy being okay with the pain you know these are the things that that we are i don't think there's a strive. I, I, i'm at that stage where there's not a striving anymore to be uh in a perfect life right? i just i just want to explore all the emotions and and thoughts however traumatic or blissful they might be i want to explore them fully with who i am um, yes and, Uh, now that I know a bit more about who
0: I am. This is true. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. I know you thought it was never going to end, but it does eventually. Um, A massive thank you to Tim um, Arnold for giving me the time for that interview. Um, Yes, I'll send you the... We'll give you the link in this little bio below um, to his website. And also just to emphasise that he has a new album coming out titled Super Connected which is going to be available very soon, April, May, 2023. This has been the C86 Show. I'm David Eastor. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. All these interviews have been archived. Aren't you lucky? You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Have a great week. Stay safe.